The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. We hope the new year is off to a good start for all of you. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about investing in healthcare and the outlook for the healthcare industry in 2022. I'm on the line with Barron's healthcare reporter, Josh Nathan Cases, and we have a lot of ground to cover today. So welcome back to Barron's Live, Josh. It's been a while since we caught up. Great to be here. Good to talk to you. Excellent. So, Josh, everyone I know has COVID or thinks they have COVID or is trying to avoid COVID or is trying to find a COVID test. I'm sure you're familiar with that scenario. (laughs) Not easy out there. So let's start with the state of play. Just how pervasive is COVID at the moment in the U.S.? And what do the statistics look like? Yeah, I mean, as as I think everyone knows at this point, we're in the heat of the Omicron Omicron wave in much of the country, though not all the country. I mean, nationwide cases are, uh, you know, the average number of new cases a day is up 250%. Um, you know, it's sort of unclear what that number means, really, because uh, a lot of people who are getting positive tests at home are not going to be reporting them. Um, but still, <clears throat> excuse me. That, that, that's the number, up 250% over the last uh, two weeks. Hospitalizations are also up. The average number of people hospitalized in the U.S. nationwide is up 50% over the last two weeks. You know, I looked at New York State because uh, that's where I live, but but, but also because um, that's where New York City has been sort of the, 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 the major metropolitan area where Omicron hit first in this country. Right now, cases are up over 200% here over the last two weeks, and hospitalizations are up 110%, which uh, sounds... High, but you know when you think about um, it as a proportion of the increase in cases, it's, it's not so high. And, and various media reports suggest that, um, or it seems pretty clear that the hospital situation is at this point not as bad as it was in earlier waves uh, here in New York. I guess that's good news. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's not great news, but it's better than than the alternative. Better than it had been. Yeah. Uh, globally, cases are up too. I mean, this is not just happening in in the U.S. Uh, gro- globally, cases are up 165 percent over the last two weeks. Um, you know, the good news is that new cases are down pretty sharply, quite sharply, in South Africa, where this wave hit first, um, which is hopeful and, and suggests that maybe this will be a brief um, but intense spike. And you know, as I think everyone has sort of heard by now, I think the consensus seems to be that. This variant is likely less severe, but we're still going to see impacts on on supply chain, on basic services. You know, schools are really in the headlines right now because, um, you know, most districts came back from winter break uh, earlier this week. Most of them are open, but there are obviously some high profile instances where they're not open. I think we've sort of yet to see what the full impact on things like schools and transportation and infrastructure are going to be from this wave. Um, you know, uh, we saw an early hint with with a lot of flights being canceled over the break that uh, the the fact of infections being really widespread, you know, can have a pretty significant impact on the ability to make things happen in terms of 
everything we rely on on a daily basis. Has anybody talked yet about when they expect the number of cases to peak in the U.S. or in the New York area? You know, I don't think that I think it would be it would be too early to to really make that call there. There was some indication um, earlier today, I believe, or yesterday, some officials in New York suggesting that at least the city might be, you know, reaching sort of a a peak point. Um, But I, I don't think we really we really know. Well, many people I know who've had COVID aren't even reporting it to the so-called authorities. They're testing yeah. at home if they can get a test and keeping the information to themselves in their their close circle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of the, you know, one issue with having these, I mean, not an issue, but a, a side effect of having these at-home tests is that there's no um, guarantee that everyone who tests positive is going to call it into the CDC. But, you know, we've always known that these case numbers are um, a flawed indicator in that it's only measuring, you know, people who get a PCR test from a place that reports, which I guess is most places, but it's not, you know, there's plenty of people who don't know they get have COVID and have COVID. Um, and, and now there's plenty of people who get a positive at home tests and, and don't report it. So, um, but I still think it's useful as a general indicator of the direction in which things are For going. Sure. So there's been a lot of recent talk about COVID boosters, particularly for younger populations, and some have in fact been authorized. Tell us about the various regulatory decisions made in this area. I know you've been following them, and perhaps you can explain some of the reasoning behind them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it seemed as though uh, you know the FDA and the CDC over the last couple of days have been really rushing to make some updates to their guidelines to help um, to help deal with the Omicron situation. You know, one thing that happened is that both the FDA and the CDC said that people who received the Pfizer vaccine as their primary doses now only need to wait five rather than six months to get their booster. That's only for Pfizer, not for Moderna. Um, They said that was just because they they have a study that Pfizer showed to them that was published in the New England Journal that uh, that suggests that five months is 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 better. Um, And they think that, you know, allowing people to get boosted sooner will um, help uh, in this moment um, to to increase the population wide immunity to Omicron. Um, so that's one thing that happened. Um, they just, they, 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 they basically said they were, you know, open to doing it from Moderna. They just didn't have a study uh, indicating. Um, and, and, and I should say, if you got Johnson and Johnson, you're only supposed to wait two months for a booster at this point. Um, the other thing that happened is uh, some changes to the guidelines for boosting 12 to 17 year olds, previously 16 and 17 year olds, were allowed to get boosted after getting their initial Pfizer doses. Um, the CDC had said they may get boosted. 12 to 15 year olds were not allowed to get boosted. The FDA changed their authorization on Monday, and then the CDC followed up what, with their advisory committee meeting and then the director confirming it yesterday, saying that 12 to 15 year olds should get boosted after five months, and also that 16 and 17 year olds should get boosted. That's a change from the, the may get boosted before. You know, the advisors met uh, yesterday afternoon. They ended up voting 13 to 1. And, you know, I think my takeaway from listening to their conversation was just like a real sense from them that this is like a very extraordinary moment. I think a lot of them are either frontline doctors or, you know, do clinical work as part of their broader practice um, and their academic work. Um, and I wonder like, I wonder what was behind the vote of the one who voted against. Uh, yeah, um, she, she spoke about it. Uh, look, I, I think that, well, look, these decisions are being made in a in an environment of very 
<laughs> in, in, in a highly unusual environment, in a real sort of crisis situation, I think some Almost of them might Almost on the fly, you might say. Well, I mean, look, there is data, but I think some yeah. of them might say you want more data. A lot of this was based on a particular Israeli study. Um, you know, the concern with with boosting, especially for for young adults, is that we we have this this data that shows that there's a risk of myocarditis of heart Correct. inflammation. Um, it seems as though all of these myocarditis cases do resolve, um, and you know they're not they don't end, people do get hospitalized, but it's not it doesn't seem to be you know fatal issue. Um, however, you know you, you certainly want to be very very careful when you're talking about um, any vaccine that has a side effect. And what what they what they've said is, and I'm sorry. And so myocarditis seems to be a highest risk among um, you know adolescents, uh, young adult males. Um, and what they said was that after the booster dose in Israel, which has been boosting um, people in this age group with the Pfizer vaccine, there were no new cases of myocarditis. And there, I think, are scientific reasons why you might not expect myocarditis um, after the third dose, uh, even though you might see it after the second dose. Um, so that was the concern. And, and I, you know, I'm not I, I don't want to characterize this, uh, the dissenters position, but I, you know, I think there's a broad, I mean, this is not a, a normal situation, right? This is not the kind of um, uh, process you might see outside of a pandemic. But the point is, I think that these ACFP members were very clear that we are in a real crisis situation, that children are getting sick, and that you want to give them the tools to protect themselves um, as best they can. Uh, you know, it's a complex debate, and I, I'm not you know, giving you every piece of it, but um, there was certainly a, a robust discussion, particularly around whether they should say um, should or may be vaccinated. They end up uh, boosted rather, and they ended up landing on on should. Um, the, the other thing worth noting is that both the FDA and CDC have now said that third doses, not boosters, but third doses are um, uh, authorized and recommended for highly immunocompromised children age five to 11. This is a sort of subgroup of, you know, people with particular immune issues. Um, they did something like this for adults before they authorized boosters. Uh, and basically the idea is that these people uh, are not able to mount a sufficient immune response with two doses. And um, uh, and so they should be able to get a third dose that they consider part of, of the primary series and not a boost. I should say, and one, one sort of interesting wrinkle here is that for a number of these decisions, so the FDA didn't consult its vaccine advisors for any of these decisions. The CDC only consulted them on the 13 to 12 to 15 year olds. The CDC um, rec made a recommendation sort of backing the FDA's decision on the third doses for immunocompromised children and uh, shortening the wait time for the Pfizer booster without without asking the ACIP, this, this advisory committee. And and there was some discussion of that at these ACIP meetings. Some of the members were saying, you know, it's good to consult us. But but it, you know, the, the, the other side that some people at the meeting presented was that, first of all, ACIP in normal times meets three times a year. You know, right now it's meeting, it feels like every other week. Um, and, you know, the 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 chair of the committee and some other people were, were saying that the CDC in this sort of crisis situation needs to be able to move quickly and that they should really be coming to the ACIP not for um, sort of incremental decisions, but rather for broader um broader questions that 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 raise big issues of sort of the risk benefit on a on a population wide scale. Um, so it does seem as though moving forward, the FDA and CDC are going to be not consulting these advisory committees quite as often on 
um, sort of the, the 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 smaller decisions, but maybe continuing to come back to them for the bigger calls. Um, I I I think it's um, you know all of this has been a real education in how how these committees work, and certainly yeah, I'm thinking that you've really gotten to see how the sausage is stuffed there. Yeah, although it's it's an unusual situation, right? It, as as they said, it is not normal for uh, these committees to get called back week after week, right? And, and I don't think that's how they were conceptualized or set up. I mean, the real role I think is to build confidence in among the public that these decisions are being made in the out in the open. Um, but at least with the FDA committees, it's really intended for the most controversial decisions. I think they they've erred on the side of 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 having more meetings of the FDA committee um, because of the, you know, importance of building public support for this vaccine program. Um, but, you know, it's sort of interesting to see how much leeway they really have and how often they're listened to. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's been interesting. And, um, you know, and, and it's important to say too, that these advisors don't always um, back the general, strategy of the agencies that are consulting with them. And, and some of them have been very critical in the context of those meetings. And I think that's been really interesting to hear as well. It's going to be a fascinating thing to look back on with the, some perspective of history and experience to see how we handled this. I'm wondering if you're picking up any talk in the U.S. about a fourth COVID shot. Israel's been testing them, has some data on them. Any talk here that you I mean, know? you know, the uh, Pfizer has been... Uh, I'm trying. To, it feels like a long time since uh, since before uh, winter break, or before my break over the holiday. But I did right before right, the it's holiday. whole year since, right? Right. But I did right before the holiday speak to the um, Pfizer um, head, uh, chief scientific officer Michael Dolson, and I. I don't want to mischaracterize him, but I believe he was saying, you know, they 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 would suggest, depending on what happens with Omicron a boost sometime in the spring and then moving to annual boosters. So the bottom line is certainly the companies have this in mind. Um, I, I, I don't think that the FDA has spoken about it yet, um, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Well, I think everything we've just discussed reflects the unusual circumstances we're dealing with and the confusion around them and the multiple opinions and the fact that we really don't know a lot. But we're, we're working with the best data we have. I want to move on to vaccine stocks. They had a great 2021, but they've been sinking rapidly in 22. Then again, most stocks have been sinking this year as the Fed prepares to pivot toward a tighter monetary regimen. Are there particular issues surrounding the vaccine makers? What's going on there? I'm not even sure I understand why, <laughs> why this happened. I mean, if you look, I'm just looking at Moderna right now. Moderna is down 14% this year. Now, Moderna is sort of a different situation because that stock has been sliding, um, you know, since the fourth beginning of the fourth quarter yeah, fourth earlier. Quarter. Um, but, you know, uh, if, you know, Pfizer was was down, uh, what was it, like 4% on the first trading day of the year? It's down 6% so far. And BioNTech, which um, is, uh, as we know, you know, Fire, Pfizer's partner, uh, partner. Uh, they were down 10% on the first day of the year, and they're down 17% this year so far. And I, 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 I only in the sixth day of the year. Yeah, right. <laughs> and many of them have not been trading days. Look, I think that uh, I, I don't, I don't really have a great explanation here, and it's, it's sort of notable that this is happening while COVID cases are climbing, right? And and vaccine rollouts are intensifying both in the U.S. and around the world. Um, I think part of the question. You know, you can speculate that people um, saw these stocks have a very strong 2021 and, you know, looking forward to an uncertain environment, want to, um, you know, take their 
money and go home. But um, I, I think it's worth flagging that this happened, but I'm not really sure what it tells us or um, what it means about where these stocks are going to go. I think that people are thinking about, you know, I mean, the big question for these stocks, right, is uh, how substantial are COVID vaccine and therapeutic sales going to be in 2023 and 2024? Um, you know, well, especially sales... if you consider that that South Africa has seen a peak in Omicron. Right. I mean, no one's arguing that Omicron is going to be the last variant. Um, right. But are we going to be in sort of a post, you know, pandemic situation by the end of this year? And what would that mean for um for the vaccine makers. So look, I, I think it's, uh, um, it's, it's going to be a live debate over the next number of months. Um, but I, I don't think it's settled by any means. So, well, they're certainly cheaper. We can say that than they were before. Right. So I want to, um, being mindful of the time, I want to move on to other stocks that have had a wild ride, namely Biogen. The ticker is BIIB. I want to remind listeners also that we'll take questions at the end of the call, so please send them in. Biogen shot up last week on rumors that Korea's Samsung was going to buy the company, which is best known for its controversial Alzheimer's drug, Adahelm. Samsung denied the rumors, and then the stock went right back down. It's kind of hard to follow the drama, but what is the outlook for Biogen at the moment? It can't seem to escape controversy. I mean, you know, the big news with Biogen right now is the next week. Um, well, let me step back. I mean, as, as you, 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 you know, the main, the, the product that has dominated Biogen's story over the last 12 months is, is this Alzheimer's therapy called Adjahelm. You know, sales of it have been, um, startlingly disappointing its approval last june was incredibly controversial the fda took a lot of criticism for it um and 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 a number of health systems and insurers are not administering it and not uh, paying for it next week uh the center for medicare and medicaid services which administers the medicare program is publishing sort of the first draft of this document that is going to guide medicare coverage of Algehelm. Uh, obviously medicare is essential for Algehelm. In as much as most people um, with Alzheimer's are are on Medicare, um, and and so this document is going to it, it, it's not the final document; it is sort of a draft document. Uh, the final document won't come until April, but it is a, it is sort of due by um, Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, or I guess next Wednesday. Um, you know, it could say uh, Medicare is not going to cover Adjahelm. It could say it's going to cover everyone who is, you know, fits under the indication that the FDA wrote. Um, those are sort of the two extremes. And then in between, there's some sort of uh, qualified uh, approval or um, uh, de determinations that are possible that would allow sort of some people to be covered. It's, it, no one knows what they're going to do. Uh, and people are going to be watching this very closely. Now, I, there was an interesting note earlier this week from Michael Yee, an analyst at Jeffries. Cool who is arguing that even a good outcome for Biogen on this may not do much for the stock. I mean, first of all, as I said, the final decision is not due until April. But the second point is that even if they do get, um, get a, you know, a great outcome in, in, in this document, um, you know, it's going to take time for sales to ramp back up and investors who, you know, might be feeling disappointed or burned by what happened um, so far with the rollout of this drug might just take some time to be convinced that it, that these sales are going to come back. Mm -hmm. um, you, you in his notes said that 
you know, he said the stock could drop 10 to 20% on a bad outcome next week or climb five to 15% on a good outcome. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we really, we really won't know. I should say that this document, these guidelines, it's called the national coverage determination won't just apply to Agilhelm, but they'll also apply to other similar drugs. There are none right now approved, but there will be many expect in the coming months, including a drug from Eli Lilly. Uh, so the implications here are broader than just Biogen. Um, you know, the other thing to say about Biogen, in addition to the stock price challenges, the company has said that it's going to cut costs by $500 million this year, which is quite substantial. You know, they cut the price of Agile Helm in half. There's a lot of turmoil there. And I think investors are looking for some good news. I don't know quite how you position yourself in a stock that could fall 10 to 20% or rise five to 15%. Well, we'll find, I mean, it's not, you don't have to wait long, right? It's a, but yes, I mean, and, and, and use point in his note was that it's a pretty tough setup. So, um, but that, that there should be a bit more clarity as of, uh, Wednesday. Okay. Biogen was trading today for $240 a share. I think it's down slightly over the past year. I want to talk about um, biotech stocks generally. We talked about some of the troubles of the vaccine stocks, but in fact, the whole sector had a very rough year last year. For all the talk about a revolution in our understanding of biology, something didn't compute with investors. So I'm wondering how analysts and investors explain the discrepancy and what they see ahead for the sector. So, uh, yeah, as you say, the sort of key biotech index is the uh, Spider S&P Biotech ETF, it's not an index, it's an ETF, uh, ticker XBI was down uh, 20.5% last year, um, while the S&P was up nearly 27%. Um, and in fact, uh, the, the <laughs> this year hasn't been so great either. The the same ETF is down, uh, dropped 5.5% yesterday, and the other um, main biotech ETF we watched was down about 4%. So, you know, I think the explanations, we've, we've talked before about what happened last year. I don't think there's any one great um, uh, case for, for why, but you could point to questions about the FDA, questions about the FTC. You could point to worries about drug pricing. You could point to um, you know, sort of uh, uh, a lot of capital going into the private markets, uh, sort of IPO glut. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, reasons. And a lot of companies that don't have any earnings yet. Well, that's always the case in biotech, but, but yes, I mean, that's certainly part of it. Uh, you know, I think there is some hope that this year will be better. Um, you know, the, I think worries over drug pricing reform have cleared a little bit. The FDA is going to have a commissioner very soon. Um, I, and the other thing to think about is, is M&A, you know, M&A, uh, the sort of game plan for most of these companies is to be acquired by a big pharma company and, when companies get bought, uh, investors get excited about other companies. Um, there wasn't a lot of M&A last year, although it did pick up at the end of the year. Um, but now there's hope that there will be good, strong M&A this year in the biotech sector. Um, as we've said before, a lot of these big pharma companies have a lot of cash. Uh, Pfizer has a lot of money from vaccines. Novartis, um, uh, you know, they, they got a lot of number of billions of dollars from selling their stake in Roche. They spent a lot of it on buybacks, but there's going to be some left. You know, Glaxo is spinning off its consumer division. They'll get some cash from that. So there, there is going to be um, money to spend. And um, there will hopefully, for investors, uh, some of that money is going to be spent on acquiring um, biotech companies. And, and maybe that'll uh, push up the sector. Mm-hmm. Gener- generally creates interest in the sector. So speaking of deals, next week could be a big one. 
it's the annual J.P. Morgan Healthcare Investing Conference, which you've covered, of course. This is the biggest industry event of the year. And wouldn't you know, after plans to have an actual event, it's going to be virtual again due to COVID. Most years, the industry's movers and shakers gather in San Francisco. There's a lot of deal making and a lot of excitement there. What should investors expect from this year's virtual shindig? So it starts on uh, Monday. And as you mm -hmm. say, it's not in person. Um, it runs three days the Thursday. It, there, there are events on Thursday, but it's sort of a shorter day. Um, I mean, you know, Monday, the first day is always a day when people look for big um, deals to be announced. Uh, and if they happen, people are excited. And if they don't happen, people are disappointed. Um, <laughs> so there's always a lot of sort of buildup going into that morning. Um, and, and, and so people should be watching for that. You know, there's a couple of companies coming into this that are gonna, you know, need to make some, make some, uh, convince investors. So Biogen, I think is a big one, you know, Biogen, as we said, uh, they have a big week, they need to sort of reset expectations. Um, and that's going to be something they'll be hopefully, you know, likely working on throughout the week. Um, but I think the big thing to look at is is whether there's going to be M and A, and and if there is, and if there isn't, regardless, I think it sort of sets a tone for the year. Whether that's that's appropriate and correct is another question. But I think there's a perception from inv investors often that you know if there's a big uh, big deals announced in the first few days of J P Morgan, that that indicates a, a big year of M and A to come. Mm -hmm. And how do you cover this when it's virtual? You can't really walk up and down the halls and go to lunches and dinners with people and get the scoop. No, yeah, it's kind of hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, look, I, a lot of what the year that I did go in person, um, a lot of what happens is these one-on-one -on -one meetings with um, companies, small and large. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we can still have those meetings, um, although it's mm -hmm. it's not quite as challenging to schedule when it doesn't actually have to be on those three days, you know? That's true. Uh, so so I, I certainly will be doing some of those interviews. Um, and, but yeah, it is, it's certainly, you know, you miss something not being there. That said, uh, you know, being there has its downsides too. The, the, it's just, it's a very crowded and, uh, and, and, and hard to kind of get your hands around kind of place. Uh, there's a lot of people there and you always feel like you're missing something when you're um, well, doing a it, different thing. It sounds like there was no choice but to, but to move to virtual. So yeah. I want to get to some listener questions and I've got one or two more of my own. Um, Andrew asks, what is the outlook for MRNA, MRNA technology developed by Moderna? This, this was proven as a, a valid technology with Moderna's COVID vaccine. What's the outlook moving ahead on this? Look, I mean, this is the big question. A lot of companies are putting a lot of uh, money and, and effort into this, uh, both in the vaccine space and elsewhere in the rare disease, um, therapeutic uh, uh, indications, um, cancer. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot, a lot of capital setting in this direction and, uh, Hopefully, it'll result in some effective cures and 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 uh, and prophylactics. And James I've, asks, "What are the trends with COVID deaths?" We didn't really talk about that too much. Uh, yeah, I can look. Uh, I don't want to say a number without a number in front of me, but um, if you want me to give me one second, <laughs> uh, I, I find that the New York Times uh, COVID tracker is the most easy to use. Deaths are effectively flat in the U.S. right now. Which is which is good. Um, you know, Absolutely. we can note that uh, deaths are a trailing indicator. So you you know this this wave is really only happening since mid December. Um, 
but but yes it is it is you know quite good that um that deaths are flat or slightly down over the last two weeks even if hospitalizations are up yeah exactly Okay, Steve asks, has there been another variant since Omicron that is causing concern? This is, of course, what everyone wants to know. I mean, there will continue to be variants, and causing concern is a relative term. There was a number of articles the other day about a variant that some scientists in France had discovered or identified in about a dozen people in parts of France, and some uh, anxious news reports uh, that WHO, I just saw a headline, was sort of pushing back at those concerns. I mean, my... um, my uh, rule of thumb for these variants is not to get worried until the FDA tells you to get, I'm sorry, until the WHO tells you to get worried. And, and um, that's served me well so far. All right. I think that's very good advice. Joseph has a question about Eli Lilly um, and why the stock is so weak. That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think there's, uh, you know, something to look, look into. I just don't have um I don't have fresh thoughts on that right now. He notes that Barron's called it a best-in-class company in the past, so definitely <laughs> worth probing that further. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember uh, writing that. It may but... not have been you, Josh. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I mean, investors love Eli Lilly. It has the best, um, one of the best, uh, you know, PE ratios in, in the sector. And uh, uh, but but it is true, and, and the stock's up, you know, fifty-six percent over the last twelve months. So. Um, but it is certainly uh, down a bit uh, over uh, more recent windows. Cindy asks a question. I'm not sure you're going to want to answer, but I'm putting it out there. I think it's a good one. Do you have confidence in the FDA, especially given the number of advisors who quit over the Biogen situation? I mean, I don't, I don't know about my, I don't want to get into my personal feelings one way or the other, but I, I um, look, the Biogen situation is a, controversial situation the decision was a controversial one and um it's had a lot of you know the agency experienced a lot of blowback for it and it will be interesting to see how the new commissioner deals with issues and with that issue rather and and issues like it i think one could have some confidence in knowing that that regulators have been transparent as we discussed earlier Uh, and the fda is a tremendous agency right (laughs) you can have feelings about one part of it and different feelings about another part of it it's not it's the opposite of a monolith. Absolutely true. So you had a wonderful story in Barron's at the end of the year on Peter Marks, who's the director of the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research within the FDA. That makes him the nation's top vaccine regulator. As my doctor friends told me, it's really rare to get such access to one of our top healthcare officials. They were very impressed with the story, Josh. And I wanted to know how you got this interview and more important, what did you learn from it? I mean, I just, I, I, I asked and that's, <laughs> that's how I got it. <laughs> Journalists everywhere should take note. Um, uh, look, I, I think Dr. Marks is a, is, is an interesting individual. I actually, I, I was, I went to a, um, an industry conference in like February of 2020, right before this all started. And he spoke and talked about what was happening. And, and it was this very clear and cogent, uh, explanation, uh, and that, that suggested that things were not going to be great and that New York city was at particular risk. I, I left a, I remember leaving, leaving that walk down Broadway, very anxious. Um, I, and, but, 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 you know, I, th- I think that what was, what was interesting about talking to him was this, this sense that, um, you know, I mean, Dr. Marks has been um, at the center of the booster rollout. And when I spoke to him, 
um, this was, I spoke to him right at the beginning of Omicron before we really understood what it was or what was going to happen. Um, and I think even then, you know, there, there was a lot of controversy about the boosters, about what the point of the booster rollout had been, about the, what the point of vaccines was, you know, whether we're trying to prevent all infection or, or just severe disease. Um, and there was a lot of criticism of the way uh, he and the FDA had handled the, the booster rollout and the White House. Um, but, you know, by the time I was writing the story and we're in the midst of Omicron, it's just it, it, it seemed he seemed um, almost prescient in the way that he had he'd pushed the booster rollout in a way that I think some people thought was was too quick. Um, and mm-hmm. now we see that it's probably, you know, preventing some substantial part of uh, amount of infection and, and certainly a lot of serious illness and death. So um, what was interesting for me was just how quickly things changed. Um, and also sort of to listen to him talk about um, risk and benefit and how he thinks about it. And, and, and that was something that people can see in the story. Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting piece. And we'll wrap up with a question from Lori about your thoughts on Regeneron, Pfizer, and J&J. What is the street saying about these drug, these drug companies now? That's a big, big, big question. Um, let's, <laughs> we can talk about Pfizer. We'll back know, to I, it on our next call, perhaps. But is there just, uh, we can just talk briefly about Pfizer, which is, you know, Pfizer is, uh, had, had a great year last year. They have, uh, you know, just got their COVID pill authorized. Uh, they have the leading COVID vaccine. The stock is up pretty sharply. Um, and, you know, the challenge for them is making the case that, you know, uh, the, the, the successes, the scientific successes they had with the pill particularly will translate to the rest of the business. Um, and that's sort of what they've staked their, their company on when they made themselves a pure play biopharma um, just a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, uh, now they need to show that uh, that it's not just COVID, that they can continue these successes, you know, across their portfolio. So one thing you notice from your conversation is how these companies constantly reinvent themselves, spinning off parts of themselves, buying new companies and so forth. And that, that oh, there's always investment opportunity in there when companies do that. Anyway, Josh, we have to leave it here today. I encourage our listeners to follow your coverage next week of the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. That will be on barons.com. Thanks a lot for your commentary today. I always learn a lot talking to you, and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please join us again tomorrow when Investors Business Daily Chief Content Officer Chris Gessel and Alyssa Corum, IBD's Multimedia Content Editor, We'll discuss trading strategies to help you navigate choppy markets. They'll also discuss how to find the next crop of market leaders and a key sell rule developed by IBD to maximize gains in a winning stock. We haven't had too many winning stocks this week, but the week isn't over yet. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.